Stu, what's the biggest question you want answered? They, they may not even get to because I don't. I mean, well, I I have hope that maybe this is going to be a good debate. Um, who is Doug Burgum? Right. That's what I was thinking. They should ask right. that. That is a big question. He's going to be there on stage. I don't even know if he knows. Right. Uh, it's a little like Mike Pence. He doesn't <laughs> know who he's targeting uh, right now. Who is the Mike Pence voter? That's another big question. Mm, I don't know. There's a few of them, apparently, in every poll, but I I, I, had never met them. And uh, Bergam is, uh, it may not be there because he uh, hurt his Achilles heel. Yeah, tore his Achilles tendon. That's tough. Yeah, Yeah, that's real tough. Uh, But might make an extra podium for Larry Elder, Mm. who is on today's podcast. Uh, We talk about several things of real importance on today's program, and then also a lot of political talk about tonight's uh, broadcast with us at 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, We're going to cover pre-debate and then the debate and then post-debate. That's the way it usually works here. We've tried the debate and then pre and post after, but it doesn't doesn't seem to work and the flow isn't quite as good. So we're going to try the usual way tonight. Brought to you by Relief Factor. You know how when you try to explain what it's like to live with pain to somebody who doesn't really experience the kind of deep pain that you have and their eyes kind of glaze over and they're like, you know what? Cheer up. I mean, you just got to you just got to get out more exercise. Shut up. That's what I feel like saying, but I don't. I say thank you for that deep, heartfelt uh, uh, prayers and thoughts for my pain. I'll take them. Dealing with pain in your life. If you are, please try Relief Factor. Three-week quick start. 1995. It's a trial pack because it doesn't work for everybody. It was developed by doctors. Hundreds of thousands of people have ordered Relief Factor, and about 70% of them go on to order more. It's relieffactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF. 800-4-RELIEF. Get the 1995 three-week quick start. Relieffactor.com. Feel the difference. program over the weekend ezra levant uh the rebel news founder host of the ezra levant show um rebel news is kind of like the blaze in uh canada uh they are really really great reporters um they do a lot of really great work and currently they're doing the truth about maui.com uh and ezra was out in maui and he joins us now hello ezra Hi, Glenn. Thanks for having me. You bet. So tell me what you saw and what is happening. The, I, I saw a report yesterday where reporters and other people were asking the mayor, how many children are missing? And the mayor said, I don't know. And they're like, come on. Of course, you know. Yeah. How many children? Yeah. What is happening? It's so extremely sad. And um I, I want to make the comparison to 9-11. Obviously, this was not an evil terrorist attack, but the devastation on this small town called Lahaina, which has about 12,000 people, is disproportionate. It's hundreds and hundreds of people were burnt alive, and the place is stunned. People are, well, let me give you an example. I met someone who had a friend who refused to get a DNA sample because they're matching 
that's just one of the ways they're trying to identify these burnt bodies. And this person said, no, no, no. Um, my, my loved one's going to come back any, any day now. I, I, the story was told to me by someone else on the ground in Lahaina. So they're taking DNA tests because they're identifying bodies. There are sniffer dogs uh, by police and um, from all across America who have flown to Maui. And they're going through the burnt remains. But people are in denial they're from shock. They're saying, no, no, they'll, they'll come back alive. It's almost like in 9-11 in New York. Mm-hmm. When people said, no, no, he'll come home. He'll come home. I know it. And the pain and the sorrow is so deep. And, but the, imagine hundreds and hundreds of people missing in a community that small. There's no family that's left untouched. And when you understand the depth of the wound to that small community, other things start to make sense. Let me give you an example. I saw before I went over on Twitter, some people saying, well, police are locking down the area. They're not letting journalists right, in. Right. What are they covering up? And that, that was one of the reasons I went out there. I thought, yeah, that's odd. Mm-hmm. Why aren't they letting journalists in? So I arrived myself. And, uh, and as I was in the taxi going to Lahaina, there was indeed a police checkpoint. And they pulled us over. Well, Glenn, it's because there's, there's homes that they don't want to have looted. And it, it would be like a 9-11, again, a, ter- a terrible comparison, but it's one that seems to fit. You wouldn't just allow anyone to go traipsing through ground zero when there's still Correct. recovery efforts going on. Correct. Now, I, I managed, they said, show us proof you live there or we won't let you through. Well, I was bringing with me a Starlink radio dish, because a satellite dish, because where we were going, cell phone service and internet still wasn't up. For two weeks, they're to be knocked out. So I, I showed the cop that I was bringing this dish in for people, and he let me go through. And, and indeed, that was one of the uh, interesting things is that uh, imagine the, this terrible thing happened to the community, but no Internet, no phones, nothing that runs on the Internet, like credit card machines. So any businesses, restaurants, whatever in the area all shut down. And um, I talked to one uh, husband and wife who said that they hadn't seen any help for days. Uh, the first official interaction they had was an airplane, they said, flying by with loudspeakers, telling them about closures and where to get help. Like imagine a slow moving airplane with loudspeakers sort of saying, do this, do that. Um, like it, like it, was, it was a stunning destruction of the community and then putting them in a kind of silence. Um, and in fact, when we brought the Starlink, we were staying in, a, in, a, in an apartment. We, we gave people in the apartment complex the, the, you know, the, the Wi-Fi password to the satellite. And it was the first time they had access to news about what had happened to them. And everything else had been word of mouth. So, um, so anyway, my point is, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, we, we only have a couple more minutes left. And I, I just oh. want to know... Um, that you know there there are I, I saw your report over the weekend there's a lot of people that are are now helping um and i know they refused fema help thank god um but the government of hawaii is disturbing the governor saying we're just gonna take this land and make it into you know memorial then uh joe biden saying that we're gonna build back better we're gonna build better homes uh, all the way to we didn't turn on the water, we didn't turn off the electricity in time, 
and we didn't blow the the air horn. Well, you know, the air siren is one thing, but you are you telling me you don't have any emergency response? There's no like Amber Alert for everybody's phones in Hawaii. You couldn't access that. It doesn't make any sense. None of it. Well, and and that's the thing is that uh, around um, Maui they have these poles with sirens on them, alarms, and they test them. The, the, the residents told me the first of every month, and it's for tidal waves, it's for other catastrophes. They didn't turn them on, and the official response was we didn't want people going to the fire because people would have thought it was a tsunami. The government said they would not so have didn't thought want it. Was- I, well, I know it's a crazy thing. So they had these sirens that never went off. And you write about this Amber Alert system. You might remember a while back, there was a false alarm in Hawaii about an inbound yes, missile. Right. And, they, and that panicked everybody. So uh, it, and you, you had you had terrible government failure that compounded everything. And and then the reaction by the president, I think, shocked and hurt people. His first comment was, no comment. And, and that stung people. We saw residents who had that, that word, no comment, and a huge banner on their house when the president came by. People were giving the finger to the motorcade, our reporters saw. And, and even when he was there, Joe Biden talked about himself and a little kitchen fire he had when he was younger. He was tone deaf. And, the, and I heard the FEMA guy on the radio when I was driving in Maui. And, oh, and we've given $3 million. And I thought, oh, my God, there are hundreds of houses burnt to a crisp. There's probably, God forbid, up to 1,000 people that have been killed. And, and I, I just, and you know what people were saying is, comparing the amount of help versus the amount of help that Ukraine got. And I and this is a very Democrat voting place, but they were just it, it, this isn't even a partisan thing. They felt so totally ignored, betrayed, and undone by their own government. But Glenn, the number one feeling is tragedy and loss and and grief, and they haven't even, in many cases, come to terms with the scale of the damage. And then, yeah, the weird things like the governor saying, "Well, we want to." essentially expropriate the land for our own purposes. Now that feeds conspiracy theories. I tell you, it, it, the, the pain in that place, Glenn, um, I just can't help but think of 9-11 because this was Maui's 9-11 wow. in terms of death toll and failure of systems. And the, this wound will, will take a, a lifetime to heal. Ezra, I think that you and I are both uh, like uh, brothers from a different mother because I know you've raised with your audience an awful lot of money to to help the people in Maui. And uh, Mercury One is up to about a million and a half now that we have uh, sent out. Um, and uh, I just appreciate your heart and your reporting. Thanks for being on with us. Thank you, my friend. You bet. Thank you very much. Um, let me uh, play something. You know, when he talks about the pain, I, I want to play something that uh, – I saw last night, and this is this is just a regular person that was angry with Biden's speech, and I just want you to hear the depth of this guy. Cut three, please. It is almost impossible to believe that this guy, that this old man, this Walmart greeter, this uh, fake installed president, one, why the f- is his wife with him wherever he goes? We didn't hire this person. I didn't hire you, Joe. You're a traitor. I know what you are. I know what Kamala is. I know what the Democratic Party is. 
And I know that we have a constitutional crisis of epic proportion. But hearing you talk about your house that, you know, had a little fire. You almost lost your cat in your Corvette. There are children that were incinerated to ash. You old man. You vile human being. The only way you feel you're able to communicate and, and you have some kind of, you know, you're so out of touch with the common man, you don't even understand how to speak to them. The only way you think you can establish commonality with them is to lie. That the same thing happened to you, no matter what the tragedy is. Your son wasn't killed in action, by the way. Your house didn't burn down. Your children weren't burned to death. How dare you get up there and speak this way? Your job is to go there and assuage them in a way that you talk to them about their loss. That you can't imagine what it's like. That you can't imagine what it's like never to find the bodies of the poor children that were sent home from schools that died alone. Alone. In fear. Without their parents or a guardian. That the most abhorrent thing happened. You're a disgusting, despicable you're too old. So I think, I, need to step I think we down. can stop. I think he is very clear. I saw this last night, and what I what I pulled from it was your Corvette and your cat, while children were incinerated, incinerated alone by themselves. That's true. And how we have a government, it's not just him. The whole government seems really unresponsive to the people at all. To say you gave, oh, we gave $3 million. This audience has given half that. This audience has given half of that. What are you talking about? You gave $3 million. By the way, you started with 1.7. But it's more than just money. It's, it's by just telling people the truth. When the governor could not, or the mayor of Maui could not say how many kids are missing. You know he knows the number. We, we know there's... What was it? What is it? A uh, uh, thousand seventy-six people that are missing, something like that. We know the number. Are you telling me we have no idea if they're kids or not? Of course, you know that number. Why won't you say it? Are you trying to ease us into that number? It's really manipulative and grotesque. I wonder if this is going to be brought up. I, 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 I hope not at the debate because then everybody will give their usually fakey little, oh, I'm so upset kind of thing just so they're, they don't look like Joe Biden. But I go back to what we were talking about when we were talking about tonight's debate. What I hope we see. What, what is the real problem in Maui? What is the real problem? It's not global warming. It's not global warming. It is a government that seems to lack the compassion for people. The compassion 
and honestly, the fear of the people, which kept them more afraid of the global warming people, kept them more afraid of them to, we, we can't turn off the solar panels. We can't turn off the electricity. We can't arm the fire hydrants and put the water into the fire hydrants because water is more sacred than people. All the way down to, you know, my Corvette and my cat. And by the way, Joe, another thing. The firefighters got there within 20 minutes of it uh, starting fire. They had it under control. By the time they got there, they came in quickly and had it under control. It was a small kitchen fire. And you said you stood there and watched these heroes. No, you didn't. You were, you were giving a speech at the time in Washington, D.C. How were you possibly at home? How did you see this? My gosh. This is the best of the Glenn Beck Program. As you can see, I'm at LAX in route to Milwaukee. I was just informed by the RNC that I'm not qualified for the debate. Why? Even though I exceeded the 40,000 individual donations required, uh, even though I signed the pledge to support the eventual nominee, uh, even though I submitted three polls where I was at least at 1%, I was informed that one of the polls is not eligible. It's the Rasmussen poll, even though it was the most accurate poll in predicting that Donald Trump would win in 2016. They say it is affiliated with Donald Trump and therefore uh, it is not eligible. And I said to Ronna McDaniel, the chairwoman of the RNC, it's not affiliated with me. She said any poll affiliated with any candidate is not eligible. And no one told me that until just now. So we're filing an emergency injunction to get me up there. This is absolutely BS. One of the candidates, by the way, offered a $20 gift certificate for a $1 donation. That apparently is okay. Another one offered a free, air quotes, country western uh, concert for a $1 donation. That apparently is okay. Another one offered a commission to prospective donors to get other prospective donors. That apparently is okay. But I did it the old-fashioned way, asking people to support me by going to LarryElder.com, and that is not okay. And now, all of a sudden, I'm not eligible. It is designed, in my opinion, to make sure that that Ron DeSantis is a nominee, anybody other than Trump. This is BS. I will see you in Milwaukee. Out. Wow. Larry Elder joins us now, host of Larry Elder Show and uh, 2024 GOP presidential candidate. Larry, welcome to the program, sir. Are you in Milwaukee? Uh, of course I'm in Milwaukee. Okay. And I'm going to be on that debate stage. I predict it. Uh, I'm not a betting man, but if I were, I would bet my house. Larry Elder is going to be up there on that debate stage uh, in some 12 hours from now. Oh, I, I, I hope you are right, Larry. I hope you are on stage. What is, it the, what is the message that you think needs to be there tonight? Well, regarding uh, the reason they're keeping me out, Glenn, I've met the 40,000 individual donor uh, criterion. Uh, I've met the uh, fact I've got to have 200 donors from 20 different states. I've exceeded that. The problem is the last one, which is I've got to have three national polls where Elder is at at least 1% among Republican and Republican-leaning voters. I submitted three. As I pointed out in that little video, they rejected one, the Rasmussen poll. And they told me that uh, it was, quote, affiliated with Donald Trump, close quote, whatever the hell that means. And I said, well, it's not affiliated with me. And they said any poll affiliated with any candidate is not usable. I said the same Rasmussen that you quote all the time on your Twitter feed, the mm-hmm. same Rasmussen that was the most accurate in 2016. And they said yes. 
And then after that, Glenn, we turn in another one where I'm above 1%. So we turned in four. The last one was turned in after the deadline, but I didn't realize they were going to reject one of the ones that I turned in. So as far as I'm concerned, all the criteria have been met. Moreover, my lawyer is the former chair of the Federal Elections Commission. Mm-hmm. They 25 years ago put down the rule that sets forth uh, the debate criteria. And they say that the RNC or DNC can set forth their own criteria. Once you do it, you have to follow it and apply it fairly to every single candidate. So they're applying it to eight of them who are going to be up there, not Larry Elder, which means, in my lawyer's view, they're giving them an in-kind contribution of 120 minutes of free airtime. And if you look at the cost of airtime on Fox News, multiply it times eight. That means that that the RNC could be facing, Glenn, a fine of up to $100 million for giving an in-kind contribution. And Fox News could also face a fine of $100 million by the FEC for giving an in-kind contribution. We're holding a press conference in one half hour. I'm laying all this out. And if by 2 o'clock local time they have not determined that Larry Elder is up there, we're going to file that complaint with the FEC. Well, I wish you the best of luck. We'll be praying for you and hoping that you are up on the uh, the podium today. I, I mean, I think when when the GOP selected their leadership here recently, um, you know, they they signaled uh, who they were. And I don't have a lot of time for the GOP, quite honestly. I I think they are uh, they're, they're becoming Democrats in every way. I mean, you know, the. The superdelegates happened because they didn't trust the American people. When Ronald Reagan was elected, all of a sudden the Democrats were like, we can't have just a regular schmo get up there, somebody that we haven't selected. And I really think the GOP is doing the same thing. They're doing the same thing now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they are. And as I pointed out in that little video, you got one guy that offered a $20 gift certificate for a $1 donation. Another one offered a free country Western concert for a $1 donation. Another one gave commissions to people to go out and get other donors. I didn't do any of that. I did it the old fashioned way and I'm excluded. But those practices, which are corrupt, if not illegal, are okay. It's outrageous. And what I think, Lynn, is they don't like Larry Elder because I make them feel uncomfortable. I talk about the lie that America is systemically racist, a lie that the Democrats have been using against Republicans time and time again. I call him out on that. I think the Republicans are weak uh, in letting somebody like Al Sharpton criticize Donald Trump for referring to the Georgia officials as riggers. Uh, Donald uh, Al Sharpton considered that to be a racist term. This is the guy who once referred to the black mayor of New York as an N-word whore. And here he is laying this down and nobody from the RNC punched back hard. I think I make him feel uncomfortable because I know the number one social problem in the country, Glenn, uh, is not the epidemic of COVID, but the epidemic of fatherlessness. 70% of black kids into the world without a father in the home, married to the mother, up from 25% back in 1965. They don't want to hear about that because they're definitely afraid of being called racist. Nothing scares a Republican establishment guy more than being called a racist by the left. They run like scalded kittens. And then we've got this absolute disaster known as K-12 urban education, where just to pick one city, Baltimore, 13 public high schools in Baltimore. I kid you not, 0% of the kids can do math at grade level. They're all located in the inner city, and they don't like tough talk like that. Jeez. Um, Larry, one thing that DeSantis hasn't clearly answered, and I'd like to hear your your answer, um, is Ukraine. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on Ukraine? We've got two minutes. We 
ought not be paying for this war. We are tired, Americans are, of being taken advantage of. We do the heavy lifting when it comes to the cost of the United Nations. We do the heavy lifting when it comes to the World Bank, when it comes to the International Monetary Fund. Our NATO partners are not pointing up the 2% of their GDP that they're supposed to. They're the ones who are threatened by, by Ukraine far more than we are. Why are we paying for it? Secondly, Putin has already lost this war. All these experts predicted that Ukraine would fold in a few days, if not a few weeks. It didn't happen. We're in the second year now. Uh, Putin has lost 200,000 troops. By American terms, that would be as if we lost 400,000. There was an attempted coup for crying out loud. Uh, his economy is in free fall. They've lost about 20 generals on the battlefield or they've disappeared. He's already lost this war. He's looking for an off ramp. We ought to be putting pressure on both sides to do just that and get us out of this thing. Larry, best of luck. I know you've got to run to your press conference, um, but I hope to see you on the stage tonight. You are a welcome voice and a voice that should be heard by more. Thank you. I appreciate it, Glenn. And tell people to go to LarryElder.com. I've now incurred an unexpected legal expense, so I'm going to need the help. LarryElder.com. Thank you very much, Larry. Appreciate it. You got it. Uh, it's crazy what is... You know, I was, as he was talking, I'm thinking to myself about the stupid questions that are coming from the debate. And the media, Fox is included are so far behind what's really going on. We're on the verge of cryptocurrency. We're on the verge of another... Um, central central bank digital yes, currency? Yeah, we're on the, the verge of a central bank digital currency. We're on the verge of another COVID lockdown. We're on the verge of possibly putting a former president in jail. We have all these things that are so huge. Digital currency from the Fed, it's not going to be discussed. The Fed itself, not going to be discussed. Uh, they'll talk about our spending, but they'll talk about it in the way of, I've got a, I'm going to put one penny down for, for every 100 pennies that are spent. Shut up. Just shut up. And I'm, I'm just wondering if anyone is going to break through with the truth. I, I, uh, I think that America on both sides is hungry for somebody that is, um, I don't know, young, dynamic, and different thinker. And, you know, Ron DeSantis should have that. He's, he's not in my generation. He's younger than me. Mm -hmm. And he should have that. I haven't seen that from him yet, but he should have that. Uh, Ramaswamy has that. Um, we just need to see, I mean, at least I do. I need to see somebody who's not a politician anymore. I, I just, I'm so sick of them. So sick of them. Yeah, well, yeah, everyone's, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like lawyers. Every, no one likes them. <laughs> you know right. I mean? It's like, you get, well, every once in a while you need them, I guess, but uh, most people don't like them. What do you think, though, about, um, I would not be surprised if Larry Elder winds up on the short list for Donald Trump VP pick. Because he, you know, he does a lot of the things that Trump likes. And again, I don't mean to undercut his message. I know he's trying to become president. So maybe his mind isn't there yet. But people keep talking about Vivek, which is an interesting pick. It certainly seems like they're aligned and there's uh, a lot there. Larry Elder, though, also aligned closely with Trump. He's very good on television. He knows an audience. He's a, he's a fighter. You know, he's the type of person where it's like Pence for Trump was this like understated you know, guy who was kind of quiet and soft and talked, you know, related to maybe the more religious part of the audience that Trump had weaknesses with at the time. Mm -hmm. 
where, you know, this is a type of period where, like, Donald Trump's going to be fighting back against legal challenges. Like, you want a guy like Larry Elder to go on television and just blast everybody. Like, he's good at it. I don't know. I think like, I, it's an interesting it's an interesting guy. I would not be surprised if he ends up on a short list. I would agree with you. That's a good thought. Because mm. Larry is, and he's not, he wouldn't. I think the problem with Vivek would be, by the way, can we just get this out, please? Sure. I'm, I'm always wrong on names. But I'm not wrong on this one because I've asked him. It's Vivek. Oh, yeah. It's like Vivek. Cake. It's Vivek. Everybody calls him Vivek or Vivek. Vec. Yeah, it's Vivek. It's, it's Vivek like cake. Um, shocking. That's how you remember it. I'm stunned that you went to baked goods to remember. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> this is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Darren Beatty's with us now. He's Revolver News founder and editor. He's also a former Duke University professor. Uh, and I can't thank you enough for just being a pit bull uh, with January 6th. You guys have done such great work on it, Darren. Thank you so much. And it's great to be back with you. Thank you. Um, so I saw this this report uh, came out the 21st. What, what day is it today? The 23rd? Yeah. So two days ago, undercover cop cutting fences on January 6th. New evidence intensifies suspicion surrounding key Fed surrection player. Um, tell the story of what you have. And you only have pictures and snapshots. Uh, you don't have the official video yet because that's being held by a court for some reason. But tell me what you have. Well, in fact, we do have video depicting this individual cutting fencing designated in the restricted area around the Capitol. So just to provide some context for this, there is a whole wide area around the Capitol that is usually perfectly fine to be on. It was designated a restricted zone just for January 6th, and it was demarcated by fencing. Now, what Revolver uncovered a long time ago in some of our earlier reporting is that there are a number of individuals very early on cutting the fencing methodically. And when I say very early on, I mean far before Trump was done speaking, before the crowd went over to the Capitol. These are people who, for whatever reason, were hanging around the Capitol when there was no real reason to be there. And furthermore, they were methodically, professionally, coolly cutting down the fencing that designates where the restricted zone is. And the effect of this was basically to create one of American history's largest legal booby traps, because later on, when the whole crowd went over to the Capitol, they were unwittingly walking into restricted zone for which they could be charged. And many people actually were charged. And this is an entirely separate story, but the Department of Justice actually used a misdemeanor trespassing charge to wrap up a green beret into a series of legal troubles that ultimately led to a felony conviction. And they were doing this punitively because he video recorded and released um, evidence of the government trying to recruit him as an informant leading up to January 6th. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot going on here, but the basic thing is there were people strangely removing fencing before the crowd got there. And, and hang on just a second. I, 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 I want to point yeah. out when you say strangely, it is strange that these people are hanging out 
20 minutes before anything is going on and they're calmly sitting there. Uh, one of the guys is, if I see this right, he's using a, a giant wire cutter um, yeah. and he is so dispassionate and calm. He's he's he doesn't seem to be in fear of anything happening for him cutting down and rolling up this chain link fence. Indeed. And I encourage the audience to follow along the pieces right up the, the top of revolver.news. We do indeed have video of this individual cutting the fencing so people can see for themselves what we're talking about. We have the video of this particular individual. There are several, but this particular one who's kind of notorious, who has never been identified, who's never been indicted, the government has exhibited zero interest in him, but he was one of the key players methodically removing the fencing way before the crowd even got there, creating this booby trap that allowed the rally to turn into a riot. Now, there's been a recent development in the story of this individual, and that is, this gets to the video that isn't public. There is video of this guy cutting the fence. Right. What isn't public is there's an individual called Free State Will, who is a January 6th defendant and also a researcher who's also been digging into this. And he claims that there's video that is under seal, has a sensitivity designation, is in protective order of fence cutter Bulwark, who is the, this unidentified fence cutter, interacting with a known undercover cop. And in fact, interacting with the known undercover cop such that the cop says, appreciate it, brother, when this fence cutter removes the fencing, allowing the undercover officer to move forward. So this intensifies the suspicions that we initially raised where we, there's an undercover cop interacting with him, praising him for what he's doing. And it just underscores the question, if an undercover cop was right with him, interacting with him, why wasn't he charged? Why is, does he not appear anywhere in any of the most wanted lists next to people with trivial offenses? He's playing a key role here, as I described, by removing the fencing, because that's one of the critical components to setting up the booby trap that ultimately led to this Right. And now, as an additional piece of really interesting and suspicious information, I would say this individual, Fence Cutter Bulwark, is the second most wanted guy from my perspective in terms of identifying. The number one most wanted guy, the number one most pressing mystery of the entire Fed Surrection yep. is the identity of this guy's scaffold commander, which we talked about in person when I was in studio. Right. Now, here's the amazing thing. There's a picture, and we have it on this Revolver News uh, uh, piece. There's a picture of this fence cutter guy hanging out way before the riot happened, way before Trump was done speaking, before even the Proud Boys arrived at the initial breach site. And the whole official narrative is everything kicked off with the Proud Boys when they went to this, the peace monument at the west side of the Capitol. There's a photo of fence cutter bulwark just hanging out as early as 12:31 p.m. 20 minutes before the breach kicked off at the breach site and within feet of him also just hanging out casually is none other than scaffold commander so it's pretty clear that there were a handful of key undercover 
inauthentic actors here who each played a critical and coordinated role in creating this booby trap, who have not been identified, who have not been indicted, and about whom the government has exhibited zero interest or even acknowledgement. Like we have the face of the fence cutter. We have the face of the guy on scaffold, but the guy on scaffolding, didn't they take that information and say they were looking for him but couldn't find him? Have they taken? They haven't done that. As far as I know, the government has not even acknowledged that scaffold commander. How's that possible? I've made a a huge deal about him. He's the number one guy. Everyone knows about Ray Epps. We've reported extensively about Ray Epps. Scaffold commander is just as egregious as Ray Epps. He's not only like fence cutter bulwark can be seen cutting fencing very early on participating in the booby trap, but he plays a critical role in the second component of the trap, which is he's positioned, he's perched way on top of the scaffold with a bullhorn telling people to move forward, move forward, move forward. So you have people who had just finished hearing Trump's speech. They, they move over to the Capitol. They're not aware that they're trespassing because people like this fence cutter cut all the fencing, indicating that it was a restricted area. And then you have an authoritative voice continuously booming from on high saying, move forward. We need your help. Move forward. Is there a medical emergency? What's going on? So the crowd moves forward. And then when people started breaking in the windows and going into the Capitol, Scaffold commander was saying, go in, go into the Capitol, move into the Capitol, fill up the Capitol. So he, he was a key instigator, not only cutting fences, but more importantly and critically, perching himself up on the scaffold, telling people to move forward and then go into the Capitol. And this is a guy, again, just like fence cutter Bulwark, not only has he not been indicted, He has not been identified. And I think these two individuals, which amazingly, we have a photo of them sitting within feet of each other way before anyone was there, just happened to be coincidentally perched right at that initial and decisive breach spot. These two guys need to be identified. I've really spent a lot of time and resources trying to identify them with no success. I think this Recent video, if it comes out, could be helpful, um, indicating exchange between Fence Cutter Bulwark and the undercover officer. As for Scaffold Commander, again, he's um, on this piece at Revolver.News, and he's in our classic piece um, doing a deep dive on all of these critical people who are pre-positioned before, before the Proud Boys got there. I even ran facial recognition on Scaffold Commander. No success. Um, I'm very convinced that if either scaffold commander or fence cutter bulwark were simply identified, it would be the biggest scandal in the country and definitively confirm that January 6th was a Fed surrection in the darkest sense of the imagination. Do you have anybody on the Hill in the uh, weaponization of government looking into this? No, not as far as I know in the weaponization of government. And it's really unfortunate. It's unfortunate that the GOP generally hasn't dedicated um, some resources into doing this because, again, we've we've come up to the, the brink. We've changed the national conversation. We've shown these people, but we kind of need help getting that next, that last step to make everything definitive of just saying, 
who are these guys? That's all we need to do. It's simply a matter of identification. And in this age of ubiquitous surveillance, it simply boggles the mind that these key people can't be identified. And it's one thing for the government not to be interested, because I think we can guess why, but for the GOP not to really be interested, because the whole purpose of this FedSurrection narrative is to justify the weaponization of the government against the GOP and it's more importantly against its constituents. Do you think we're going to find out the answer? Uh, that's hard to say. That's hard to say. I'm not going to stop. I mean, it's become kind of a white whale issue for me. I'm not, you know, overly obsessed by it, but it's just, I've gotten so far and this is like one of the last steps. There's the pipe bomb issue and we're very close on that too. But as far as the January 6th, the, the participants, like Ray Epps, people know who that is. These people, people don't know who they are. And all we need to do is find out who they are. And I'm very confident that the identification alone will tell us all we need to know and definitively about what really happened on January 6th. Can you give me a hint on the preview of the pipe bombing information that you're close to? Well, there's been a major development since we last talked, and that is the public face of the pipe bomb investigation, the guy running it for the FBI who ended up retiring and working in accounting. He strangely volunteered himself to the Judiciary Committee and basically confirmed that all of the things we've been reporting on at Revolver were entirely valid and that the entire investigation is really bizarre. He was asked whether the FBI used geofencing technology to identify this alleged pipe bomber, because we know they've used geofencing to identify Grandma's. and even charge other J6ers. Mm-hmm. And he got very uncomfortable, according to multiple people who were, in, 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 uh, who were physically present, personally present. He got physically uncomfortable. His body language got really kind of fidgety. And he admitted that, yes, they did try to use geofencing, but the telecom companies came back to him and they said, for this specific request, the data is corrupted and we can't give you that information. And he had no innocent explanation for that other than to plead with the Judiciary Committee not to engage in conspiracy theories. And that was one of the many revelations there. And so this is an ongoing thing. That's a major development. There's more going on there. And I think it's very clear that this is this is a cover-up operation. They found out who it actually was, the pipe bomber, in my view. And the, the identity of the pipe bomber was extremely embarrassing to the government. And they've been covering it up. That's my opinion of what happened. But this individual basically confirmed that all of these things that don't add up they, that they indeed don't add up, and he had no explanation for it other than to beg us not to engage in, quote, conspiracy theories. Wow. Darren, thank you. Again, you're a patriot for doing all of this uh, yeoman's work. I mean, it's, it is, it's got to keep you up at night, be frustrating, and you just won't give up, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Glenn. Find all this and more at revolvernews.com. That's revolvernews.com. Na, na, na.